Now, <clears throat> I'm going to talk on four words this morning, but I bet I'll use more than four, won't I? You shall not steal. We're looking at the Ten Commandments here, and this is Exodus 20, verse 15. I'm working through the Ten Commandments over the summer just to touch on the subjects they raise and how they speak to us today. As I've repeatedly said, the Ten Commandments are God's bottom line. They are the maker's instructions, ten basic points about how human life works best, how human society would best work. And this is one very clear one, you shall not steal. They're all very clear, of course, but this is one that seems very, very clear. We want to talk this morning about what does that say to us? Because as with all the commandments, it gives us some direction about how we live, It also helps analyse what's wrong with our society and culture and we see from God's perspective what's important to put right. Therefore, we should live in the light of it. We should reflect in our lives the truth in these commandments. But they also often provoke us to realise we are sinners ourselves, that we are guilty of breaking these things. They are deliberately given by God to show us that something's wrong. Uh, Not that we all steal, but... There is an issue here of of heart motive and of how we live that might touch many of us about our values even. And God does it to drive us to himself, to drive us to Christ, as the Bible would put it, to drive us to find forgiveness and hope and change in the gospel. The commandments do have that role. They illustrate what's wrong with us as individuals and as a society that we might find an answer, which we can, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sins forgiven, the curse of the law removed, and new hope, new creation, new heart, new spirit, live a new way. And then the commandments have a little bit of relevance to us then, even as Christians, because they tell us the basic righteousness of the law that will be fulfilled in us, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. And so most of the principles of the Ten Commandments are indeed repeated in the New Covenant or the New Testament. This one is as well. But often at a much more sort of profound level, how God is going to change our hearts on the whole issues that are raised. Frankly, God's going to change us from takers into givers. So we're going to be looking at that. Thank you for putting that up because that's the verse I want. Ephesians 4.28. I wasn't sure it had gone up. This is a New Covenant building on the, tenth, tenth, uh, on the Eighth Commandment. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something use, useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do you see how the Gospel provides a much more full answer? Not just trying to stop you stealing, but changing your very heart so that you are no longer motivated by greed and covetousness. Indeed, you're endeavouring to contribute. You're endeavouring to be generous, to give to the kingdom of God, to give to church, to give to individuals, to help serve others. And so your whole heart is changed. And that's honestly what the gospel does. And thereby we fulfil the righteous requirements of the law by walking in the Spirit and following Jesus Christ. And then the commandments, as I say, are a sort of bit of a direction to us about how God will be leading us and guiding us. Well, let's go back a step and ask the question, what is stealing? Do I really need to just talk to you about it? You might think, well, I think I know what stealing is. Well, I think we do. I think we need to explore what it is We need to explore a little bit what that means for our society. We actually also, we will be doing this, be quickly looking at what does God call stealing? 
Because uh, God has some things to say. The Bible is a very, very practical book. It is totally up to date. And some of the things that God addresses in his word are very near to the bone of modern British society. They touch nerves. They point and illustrate things. Things about our mentality and our approach to possessions which are unhealthy. Actually, this is a very important principle. You must not steal. You shall not steal. It is a fact that no society can live harmoniously, survive in peace and cohesion without respect for people's property. Now, I was brought up in the sort of 60s and 70s, and so when I went to university, communism was very common and there was a a lot of debate at the university where I was about extreme left-wing solutions to things. People tried communes and all sorts of things. But the reality, and there was anarchism and, you know, get rid of all property, property is theft and all the rest of it. But the reality is, when you look around any culture in the world, people need to have a security of what is theirs is not just going to be taken by others. They may have different cultural values about it. It may be to do with their spears or their little grass hut or something in some parts of the world. But actually, if everybody really just takes anything they want from other people, you have complete chaos. There needs to be a respect for other people and their property. And a thief mentality, when it gets a grip in a nation, will be part of undoing that nation and impoverishing it. Stealing, you see, is to take away secretly, this is the dictionary, to take away secretly for one's own use without right or leave. To take something secretly so nobody sees without them knowing, just take it for your use without anybody saying you can have it. Just taking it for yourself. Now, classically... We think of things like bank robbery, burglary, pickpocketing, mugging, fraud, shoplifting, car thieves. All of those are stealing. And if we just start at that level alone, it might surprise you to know, I don't know if it will, that that sort of stealing has hugely increased in Britain over the last 30 or 40 years. For example, in 1980... uh, there were two and a half million offences recorded in that year. By the year 2000, it was over six million offences recorded by the police. And the actual classic robbery, the sort of things I've listed, stealing, has increased between 1980 and 2000, I haven't got the current statistics, increased by 445%. 445%. So actually, we have developed a thieving culture. And in actual fact, although clearly crime has always been there and stealing's always been there, there is a tangible sort of statistical proof that there is a, almost, in some ways, a plague of stealing in our society. Now, we could take a long time over this, I won't, but we could flag up some of the reasons for that. I think some of them are probably pretty, pretty clear. For example, many robberies are linked to drugs, People are stealing to fund their drug habit. Drugs are very expensive. And I have to say to you that the media and the modern sort of liberal PC world tends to be quite tolerant about drugs. But drugs are an evil at every level. There is nothing good about them. 
They cause untimely deaths to those who take them. They often bring extreme physical uh, illness, psychological disorders. They often are a world that breeds violence. And they breed thieving. People thieve for their drug habit. When we lived in Hastings, we had an attempted burglary once. Uh, my in-laws had, an attempt, had a successful but not very dramatic burglary. Both of them were just chance opportunities of people feeding their drug habit when they saw a window open or a door that might be knocked open. It, so that is a factor. And actually we need to realise that the spreading of this sort of, oh yeah, it's great, let's everybody have drugs. Somebody has to pay for them. They are expensive. And usually people are driven to thieving. It's not always uh, simply their own fault, one might say. The drugs feed the, ha- uh, feed the whole mentality that feeds the habit but it's sin and it's wrong another thing that's common probably become more common in our society is to depersonalise stealing and robbery so people say well you know it's not really the individuals we're stealing from the insurance company will pay for it the insurance company will pay for the car or for what's been stolen from the home that I'm stealing from the firm that's not really from individuals it's okay it's okay to steal from a shop A lot of shoplifting goes on. Okay to steal from the government. But the fact is, it isn't okay. The fact is that in the end, ordinary people do pay for all that stealing. They pay for it in increased costs in insurance. They pay for it in increased costs in the shops. Shops build shoplifting margins into their prices. They pay for it in terms of taxes and many other ways. Actually, real people suffer when you rip off institutions and think that doesn't matter. It's a rationalisation for a crime, but it's probably grown in recent decades. And I have to say, perhaps as a more general point, I believe that ungodliness breeds stealing. We have not ever been a particularly strong Christian country. I'm not a great advocate that we were wonderful at all, but there were actually Christian values that were sort of acknowledged across the board in our society once upon a time. And even in their most feeble state, God's principles do people good. Even if they're only half-heartedly acknowledged, they are fundamentally good for us because God knows what he's doing. And so there would probably have been a sort of respect for each other's property once upon a time. Covetousness would have been very common, but seen as a sin. People knew that it was wrong. But actually, in the last few decades, far from being a sin, it is actually promoted. Covetousness, which we'll look at, of course, when we get to the last commandment, wanting what others have got, really is the whole rationale of our consumer society. It's it's the basis of how we advertise. It's the basis of how we do everything. We encourage people to be covetous. We encourage you, you know, you want this, you need this, you deserve this, go and get this. We're fueling a fire which not many people can afford to fuel, to fight, uh, to put fuel on. And so if they're not in heavily into debt, which itself brings its pressures, they may well be provoked to be less than straightforward with what they do with money and getting it from where they shouldn't. We're fueling with an ungodly principle something that ultimately leads to this sort of sin just manifesting itself more and more. There's a sort of official selfishness too, isn't there? Again, it's part of a sort of modern philosophy. I can do what's best for me. It's what I do for me that counts. 
I'm not looking to higher standards. There aren't absolute rules. I can bend the rules. It's amoral. I work, what works for me is okay if it suits me, if it works. Now, that sounds fine sometimes, but actually that can boil down to I don't really care about other people. I don't care about institutions. I think it's okay. There are a load of idiots anyway, so it's okay for me to take stuff from the government or whatever, or the workplace. A certain rationalisation creeps in to a, almost a me-centred philosophy that has very, very common. My choices cost money, so it fuels me in my desire to find answers for that. You can't undermine traditional Christian values and not pay for it. We just need to know that. Because in our country, we've so often assumed that it's just like to do with being liberal or democratic or humane or something, that the, the, the law and order we enjoy, the, the, the sense that there isn't too much bribery yet, and this sort of thing. If you go to other cultures, and obviously some of us have more, even many more than I, but I, I know I've two or three incidents which have really struck me. If you go to somewhere like India and the, the battles that our brothers and sisters have there with just trying to be honest in any area, literally any area, like buying a house without giving bribes, with, without dealing with, uh, is it black money it's called? Uh, there's a terrific battle because you've got a culture not set up in a Christian worldview, but a Hindu or perhaps other worldviews influence. And there isn't the same value system. I remember the first time it really hit me when I went to Mexico with Terry on a church thing in the mid-80s. And I was chatting away with the Christians in the church in Mexico. Normal Christians, normal church, great place. Have a driving test. Right, you're going to have a driving test. You want to pass your driving test. You have to pass your driving test to drive to on the roads, not have L plates and all the other restrictions. Now, you take your driving test in Mexico. Guadalajara is where I was. I may have changed now. I must admit this is probably nearly 15 or 20 years ago. But you take your driving test in Guadalajara. Everybody... Absolutely everybody has to pay the instructor a bribe to get past. You have no choice. You can drive in the most superb way possible and you will not pass if you don't give a bribe to the instructor. You can drive like a maniac who's got his eyes shut and is blind drunk and you can pass if you give the bribe to the instructor. So the whole society, this is one tiny fragment of what happens. The whole society is affected. So any old person can drive... You know, how you drive is irrelevant. Have you bribed the instructor? But you can drive very well, not bribe the instructor, and you'll never get your pass. By and large, that's what Christians were tussling with. Should we bribe the driving instructor? Now, we don't have any of that to contend with still. Thank God. And we can think, oh, that's because we're British. It's not because we're British. It's, that's vestiges of Christianity. We're no better morally than anywhere else in the world. But if you don't have a Christian worldview influencing how your nation and culture has developed, those sort of things develop across the world. It's not about, and we will fast lose it, brothers and sisters, as we rip out the foundations of Christian thinking, such as the Ten Commandments, it will not be many decades before everybody in our nation has to bribe someone to get something. Because that is human nature. That's not Mexicans versus British. And we need to understand and be strong and proud and clear about it that God's ways work. They really work. And they bless and exalt a nation even if the nation isn't largely Christian and there's a load of majority aren't Christian. But if somehow God's ways are respected, 
it will exalt a nation. It brings a security and honouring of things like your word and law and financial issues like we're touching today. But you know, God has got a definition of stealing that goes a lot wider than pickpockets and bribery and things. Let's look at some of God's definitions of stealing. Now this will be quick and I'm going to let the Bible do the talking for me a lot of the time. Um, because uh, it's just a case, I'm going to flag up verses in the Bible which show us some of the things God says. You'll see how practical God is. And God puts his finger on some of the ways we could all behave sometimes, not all of them hopefully, but some of them, and says these things I see as wrong and as part of stealing. It's almost like unpacking the commandment a bit. The commandment is definitely the bottom line, the highlight, the headline, but actually God says things that are relevant to this commandment in many other places. For example, Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 to 25. If you enter your neighbour's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, But do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbour's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Now, you may say, I love it actually, I love its quaintness. Although it's quaint, it's got a reality to it. And what it's saying is it's okay to, if you know, if you need to, if you're hungry, to take an apple and eat it, or a handful of grapes and eat them. You know, God is a God of generosity and almost common sense is one way I wanted to put it. You know, if you can ask someone for some food or take something you need, you're hungry or thirsty. But you don't cross that line to treating their goods as though they were yours. And in fact, you avoid all the hassle of planting them, all the hassle of of tending them and looking after them. You take a basket in and get a nice basket full of what he's worked hard to grow. You take a sickle in, here I go, and come out with a good couple of nice big, um, whatever they are, what do they call them? Sheaves, thank you, bringing in the sheaves. Big sheaves of this bloke's work. He's put all the work in it, and you just don't do any work, you lazy so-and-so, and you just go and take those things. Now, actually, that's stealing. God calls that stealing. So, oh yeah, we don't do that sort of thing. Well, maybe we do. What's the heart of it? It's treating other people's property as if it was your own, and you had a right to it. I would say you could argue it's things like finding something valuable and not using the process available to return it to the owner. I once found a purse stuffed full of money when I was a young person uh, on a bus, actually, and it was really full of money. And I I know this sounds good, but I, I did do the right thing. I took it to the police. And I had to wait three months. Actually, it was a very interesting story. I'm going to, bore, I'm going to tell you quickly. It was a very interesting story because I knew, because I was only in my teenage, late teenage, I knew it was quite a lot of money because I counted it, you know. And so I took it to the police station. This, this story is a true story. This is a true story. Of course, all my stories are true anyway. Why say that? So I took it to the police station and gave it to the police station. And I was new three months. Where you go, and I didn't hear anything after three months. And I thought, oh, okay, person must have come. But after about six months, I got a visit from a policeman, a detective. And the detective t- took a very careful statement of what I did. And it was like, you know, what's this all about? And he wouldn't tell me. I said, <clears throat> you know, I can imagine you being like this. I said, oh, oh, could you just tell me what it's about? Uh, is, it, is it something serious? And so, you know, a bit chatty. And, and he said, and he wouldn't, because you're a really good policeman. No, no, sir. Okay, okay, sir. He called me sir, although I was only about 17 or 18. Okay, sir, no, no, I just need to know Adida. Well, I'll cut the long story short, because I could make it a long story. Actually, the policeman in the station 
had been stealing what people were handing in. And in the end, I went as a witness to court when this policeman was tried. And he was actually ripping stuff off in the police station. And I got my money back eventually. Uh, and it was quite a, a dramatic little story. Um, but anyway, that's by the way. But, well, that was sort of interesting. Interesting to me. But uh, the point is that I think to not use the system to give that stuff back is, in effect, stealing. I would say borrowing without asking is pretty near to it. Or borrowing something and never bothering to even think twice about giving it back, as treating it as though it was your own. I think picking something up at work or elsewhere that just happens to be there because it just is useful to you. These sort of things, God knows what sort of the human heart's like, and he says, don't do it, it's wrong. Let's look at Psalm 37, because that says it even more clearly. Verse 21, one of the things, anyway. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. God wants to turn us into righteous people who give generously, not wicked people who borrow and do not repay. Now, in a way, we can make, I'm almost doing it unfortunately myself, we can make it a little bit light, this issue of borrowing and not repaying, but God says that's sin. It's sin. If we borrow something, it's not ours, and we ought to repay it or think about it and take it back to the person in a reasonable and sensible state. If we ruin it or break it, we ought to replace it. If we don't, we're stealing. Let's look at Titus 2, uh, verse 10, 9 to 10. Let's read that one. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. Now this is New Testament teaching, but you'd think a slave would be justified in taking stuff from his owner, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, they get no pay at all. But actually, they do not own that stuff. Their things they take do not belong to them. And the word of God is, you show yourself different. Christian slaves, you are not to steal from your masters. You're not to do it. However justified it may be. And it can feel very justified to take things from work. They're a big corporation. They don't pay me very well. You know, uh, nobody will notice. You know, who's going to notice? But actually, God says you don't do that. You could ask for something if you know it's going to be no longer used. They're chucking the chairs out and they're better than the ones you've got at home. There, there may be means for asking, but you don't just take stuff uh, as though it was yours. God says that's wrong. That is stealing. Let's look at Deuteronomy uh, again. Is it Deuteronomy? Have I got it wrong? I'm just getting carried. No, it is. 25, 13 to 16. I like this one. So you have to read this one carefully, right? It's another one that needs to go into the modern culture, but it's got a good point. Do not have two differing weights in your bag. Well, you're probably all all right this morning. I doubt if you've got two differing weights in your bag this morning. (laughs) But it's got a bit more serious to it. One heavy and one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large and one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests Anyone who does these things. Anyone who deals dishonestly. God detests dishonest dealing. What's he saying? Deliberate deceit in business is stealing. Where you sell something to someone, they think they're getting two kilograms, they actually get one and three quarters or one and a half kilograms. That is stealing. That's what's happening here. Fiddling the weights so they think they get more than they do. 
Defrauding people through deliberate deceit is stealing and God detests dishonest business. I think there's quite a bit of that around in our day and age. People don't like to call it stealing. It is. And God knows about it and he calls it what it is. Proverbs 21 and verse 6 says this. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. Money made by lying is unrighteous. It's akin to stealing. That's God's perspective. If we make it out of a lie, it's unrighteous. You're allowed to bargain. I don't think bargaining is wrong. But lying is. Look at 16, verse 8. Is it on the same screen? Thank you. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. What wisdom from God? What wisdom from God? Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In our culture, the bottom line is money. The bottom line is make as much money as you can, however you can. That is increasingly, probably since the 80s onwards, quite a sort of principle of life, it seems, in our nation. It's not God's principle. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Here's another telling one from heaven. Ezekiel 22, verse 12. And it's to Israel, to Jerusalem, that God's speaking. In you, Jerusalem, men accept bribes to shed blood. They take usury and excessive interest and make unjust just gain from your neighbours by extortion. And you have forgotten me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Accepting bribes, excessive interest, that's interesting, extortion, God sees them all as wrong. Basically, they are getting large amounts of money out of people by exploiting their vulnerabilities. God says it's wrong. They are dependent on you. If you don't lend them that money, they've got no hope. So, our business culture would increasingly be inclined to say, get as much out of them as you can. God would say that is wrong. Excessive interest is wrong. Exploiting their vulnerability through literal extortion is wrong too. I wonder how God feels about third world debt. I think Christians who are concerned about this have got a point, actually. Because the wealthy nations and the strong economies, to some extent, do exploit the vulnerability and dependence of poorer nations. And they do get a lot out of them for the so-called loans they're given and uh, aid sometimes they're given with strings attached. Now, I'm not... That's not a major concern of mine in a daily term, so I'm not familiar with the details. But I am sympathetic to the viewpoint that we need as Christians to speak into this. Because God's standards are that excessive interest, that uh, gain by extortion, or, or you know, pressure on people who are vulnerable to get money out of them is wrong. And it happens, it, scripture is full of that sort of thing. This is one scripture. I could be giving you from Isaiah and Amos... Endless examples, and we'll have at least one other of the same thing. The Bible actually says a lot about exploiting the poor and needy and making excessive profits out of them. It getting a lot of excessive profit from people's fundamental needs, such as food, shelter and protection, is something God is angry about, by the way. <laughs> and I think sometimes we have to understand that even if I, I might say... 
When originally mortgage companies were set up, they were set up often with a Christian, believe it or not, ethic, and a very good one in the Victorian England, that they were attempting to help poorer people to borrow money without excessive interest in order to have a home. And many of the original building societies, most of whom have become banks now and operate like banks, but many of the original building societies were, to some extent, mutual companies set up to help find, uh, if you like, helpful ways of lending money with modest interest rates. I don't think it's a bad thing for Christians in business and in financial institutions to remember that and to try and at least keep that spirit going in this day and age. Because that is a Christian principle. Of course there will be some interest. There are costs involved. There needs to be money to invest and lend to others. But the principle of the building society was good. The money actually was invested and was used for other loans rather than particularly, as perhaps a bank might more ruthlessly, make its profits for its shareholders. So, actually, Christians who are into this sort of thing need to be thinking about this. I personally am relatively ignorant. I just know a little enough. I know enough history and enough Bible to know that God is not thrilled with excessive interest where people are dependent on that source. Here's another thing, Jeremiah 22, verses 13 to 17. It's a long quote, and it's to God's people, but it can sound very contemporary to my ear anyway. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labour. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels with cedar, and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? That question is so modern. Come on, it's modern. I mean, you don't need change the terminology. That, we live in a, everybody likes to display their wealth. You know, the houses in London and the stockbroker belt and everything else. But God says, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? What a challenge to our modern values. Did not, and then he goes back to Abraham. Did not your father have food and drink? He did. What was right and just. So all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Says God. It's so telling. It speaks for itself. Declares the Lord. But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain. On shedding innocent blood. And on oppression and extortion. There's much like that in the Bible. God is very concerned for values that mean that actually we just don't take any notice of the poor and needy and make as most, uh, much as we can for ourselves. Do you know, I found this a mildly shocking, well, not mildly, I found it a shocking statistic. I th- I was a little, it, it wasn't that many years ago that I came across this statistic. In, it was the last few years. In the United Kingdom today right in the 21st century, a few years ago, the divide between the highest and lowest paid workers in modern Britain is now the greatest it has been since 1886. So the divide between the lowest paid workers and the highest paid workers is now the greatest it's been since 1886. And sometimes you feel there's such an arrogance that we're all Victorians and <laughs> 20th century and, you know, and we've got it all right today. Well, have we got it all right? If the divide between the highest and lowest paid workers in modern Britain is now the biggest gap it's been since 1886... I think maybe there's something we need to think about, some of us. If we're, you know, there may be something, I'm not looking for re-sort of get out the chartists or something or the trade unionists, but 
I'm not making a political point, but I think as righteous Christians, we need to be aware that God expects us to, 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 to not let a society get quite like that. That there needs to be an honouring of all. There needs to be proper paying of people. And certainly paying them for the labour they've done. And in actual fact, this idea that seems to be quite modern nowadays, you don't pay people until you absolutely have to, I think is unrighteous, and so would God. You get self-employed guys who have terrific trouble getting their bills paid. You know, they've done the work and nobody will pay them for ages. Keep moaning and screwing them down. And actually, that is unrighteous. If they've done the job and they've finished it, pay them. And and if you're not happy with it, you should pay most of it at least and and perhaps bargain about the little bit you don't like. But I I would say, I mean, it's interesting really, um, I would say we've brought a culture that, 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 that thinks you're carrying on as long as, oh, you know, if I can hold the money as long as possible, I make more money out of it. Yeah, and they don't. And that happens at every level. I don't know that that is a standard or a way of behaving at all that God likes or smiles on. And I think Christians have got to have an ethos, an ethic, that is just different and shines differently in an increasingly greedy world. There's another thing, Proverbs 18.9, we could perhaps say the other side of the coin. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. An actual fact, to not work properly is robbing the boss. To skive off time, which you're not allowed to do or not expected to do, is robbing the boss. Poor workmanship, shoddy materials, cost-cutting at the customer's expense. They're basically forms of theft from the perspective of heaven. Now, all this sounds pretty contemporary to my ear. And I believe God wants us to live differently as Christians. I believe God wants us to sometimes speak into these things. I think God wants us to sometimes influence the way policies are done. If we're people in, if of influence in our business or nation. To say we're going to pay people on time. We're going to honour work. We're going to uh, reward favourably. We're not just going to get away with everything we can and cut every corner we can financially. Because that's something that shows a different spirit. The spirit of the kingdom of God. I want to just move on quickly to say that God has things about positive things, about how we live in the spirit that will change the way that we behave. And here are some of the things that are nothing to do with stealing, really. They're about being something different in the kingdom of God. Because briefly, I want to remind you that we are really not about just the law and not doing this. We're about living differently. And as we live differently, we will display a totally different approach to many of these things that are so common around us. Here's some of them, just three quickly. Trust in God. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. One of the answers to not getting into the whole covetous, selfish, greedy thing that is so common today, greed is almost seen as okay, isn't it? One of the answers is to understand we live totally differently. We are something different in the kingdom of God. We see the Lord as our provider. That everything comes to us from him. Even the stuff that comes from our boss in our pay packet or in our paycheck is actually from God. The Lord is our provider. He provides the job and he provides the finance. And we need to constantly be aware of that. We need to thank him. We need to be aware that he, if we're hitting a difficulty, that he can change things where there seems to be no hope of change. And actually we need to live putting his kingdom first 
and his righteousness and letting all these things be given to us as well. Now, if we do that, we are very unlikely to end up remotely stealing (laughs) because we're just living in a totally different way. We're seeing, we don't say, oh, great, you know, there's an opportunity for me to cut a corner or pick up something that's not mine. We're, We're totally looking for God to do it. Now, we might say, is this thing of God's provision. I don't mean the cut in the corner, but you know, sometimes there may be at work that there's an opportunity that something's been thrown out. As I said before, we say, wow, but then we'll do it right. If it's God, it won't need to be done crookedly. We can go and say, you know, I need a desk at home. They're throwing a desk out. Could I have your desk? <laughs> and you know, and, and if it's God, the door will open. We don't need to do it ourselves and so on and so forth because we're trusting God. Here's another one for the kingdom of God. Contentment. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you know, we have the greatest thing as Christians. We have peace with God. We have our sins forgiven. I mean, if he's given us that, won't he give us other things as well? As Paul says, Romans 8. Yeah, he has given us Jesus Christ. Would he not freely give us all things? We need to rest content, first and foremost, in all that we have in the gospel. We have eternal life, our sins forgiven, we belong to God, we know him as our Father. Let's start from that base. And then let's start from another, and then let's go on to another principle. He will never leave me or forsake me. He knows what I need. Back to trusting him, really. And getting our contentment out of that. And actually, we need to understand a principle that I heard someone say once. If you have, even, even if I have less than I want, I have more than I deserve. That's true. Now, that's true for me. <laughs> even if I have less than I want, I have more than I deserve. And we need to understand this. Brothers and sisters, as I preach this, I just want to say to you, when I was preparing it, I felt there's a relevance to Winchester. It's a very wealthy part of the world. And and it has an effect on you. It has strange effects on you. And I can see it having an effect on me. When I was in Hastings, which was quite poor, I would have been quite embarrassed to have a Focus car with a 52 plate. You say, you ought to be embarrassed, John. It's a rubbish car. No, 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 I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that at all. I would have been quite embarrassed driving into the car park. When I'm here, I'm embarrassed for the reason you've just laughed about, because it looks so odd beside... I I love people being prosperous. Hear what I say. I'm just talking about me and the effect on me. So when I'm at Hastings, I'm almost slightly embarrassed to have this car. And being me and all insecure in certain areas, I'd sort of explain why I was able to afford it and all it was a good deal and all that. But that's me and I've got to sort that out with God. So, so, So that would be that. But when I'm here... I have found myself feeling slightly grumpy that I can't afford a better car. I have. I found myself thinking, if we didn't have these gift days, it's my fault we have these gift days, I, you know, I could blooming well have a better car, like X, Y, Z around me. And I think, how it influences you where you live. I honestly would not have thought like that in Hastings. I can promise you, I would have had the other insecurity there. And actually, you think... We live, brothers and sisters, I'm just joining you in it. We live surrounded by a lot of plenty and a lot of finance here. And we just need to know that we're kingdom people. We need to be, keep our spirits clean, keep ourselves living right, and be very content with all we've got. Thank you, Lord, for my Ford Focus with its squeaky, horrible, squeaky, uh, whatever it's got that I can't find, get a solution to. But thank you, Lord, for it. 
Thank you. I mean it, actually. I'm not just mocking. Thank you, Lord, that I've got a car that's very reliable mechanically, even if it squeaks. And thank you, Lord, that it does all I need. It takes us regularly everywhere we need to go. It's, you know, I just Seriously, you do. You know, it fits everything I need. God has given me all I need. And I don't deserve that. And we actually need to keep our spirits fresh in the spirit, the sort of strongholdy type feel of the places we live. They vary a bit from place to place. This is a very affluent place and it can get to you. So just make sure that you live clean and pure before God and keep content. And finally, generosity. Well, it's not finally, but I think I'll make it finally because I'm going on too long. Generosity. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God wants to bless you so that you can bless others. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than receive. That's true. And if... I know you're a good givers, and so it's not a heavy point, but it's a point to stand strong in, and to be healthy in, and to be non-grumbling in, and to be cheerful in. It's great to be able to give. Even if it's just give someone a bar of chocolate, or a dinner, or a, give them a book you've already bought because you can afford to replace it. It's just great to be able to be generous. It's great to have enough money to give someone a lift and not ask them for the petrol money or whatever or whatever. And more and more than that, to have a car that you can give to somebody else because you can afford to replace it. I know these things go on and it's wonderful and it's how we should be, brothers and sisters. We should be people who are marked by generosity. That is Bible values. It's right back to Ephesians. I'm not going any further, by the way, with the PowerPoint. Thank you. I want to stop here. It's like Ephesians that God wants to turn us from people who might grab and grasp to people who can give and be generous on every occasion. Hallelujah. The gospel changes hearts. That's how it's a solution to a problem like stealing. It's not law, just don't do it. And everybody wants to do it, but oh, I better not. No, it changed me. So, oh God, I'm sorry for my greed. I'm sorry I'm so selfish and covetous. I'm sorry I, 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 I just want things that aren't mine. God will change your heart. As you put your faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven for all your sin. If maybe you've been a person who's stolen. Maybe there's even things I've said today. You say, well, I never saw that as stealing, but that's what I do. Well, you can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for deceit in business and anything. And Jesus will cleanse you, but he'll also change you. And he'll change takers into givers. People who once upon a time tried to get everything they could, who will now try and help others and be generous and promote others and maybe even facilitate others prospering. Because that is how the kingdom of God is. It's not about poverty. It's not about having nothing. But it's about having a generous contentment somehow in your spirit being able to trust God for everything and therefore move in contentment and generosity in an increasingly greedy world. Amen? By God's grace, we're going to do it and be an example to our nation. Hallelujah.